Hello and welcome to Marketing Connected. I'm your host, Rizwana Manjur. Following the success of our Survival Instinct series, we're now launching a brand new initiative titled Life After Advertising. Life After Advertising was created amidst the global COVID-19 pandemic, which saw many ad professionals having to leave the industry and hit restart on their professional careers. Over the next few weeks, we will speak to some of the most iconic individuals in Adland who have now shifted gears and we'll find out how they've redirected their careers. This week, we speak to politician Jose Raymond, also endearingly known as Potongpazir Jose. Jose carved out a name for himself when he started his career in the media in the 90s, stealthily climbing the ranks. He then transitioned over to corporate communications, eventually launching his own agency, Spin Worldwide, with operations in Singapore and Malaysia. Not long after, Jose dipped his toes into the realm of politics in 2017. Jose first crossed paths with SBP in 1984 when he attended its rallies in Potong Pasir. Today, we'll find out what spurred Jose to jump into politics. Hey, Jose, thanks so much for joining us. Now, my first question, and I'm not going to waste any time on this, but how does it feel like to be the face, the client, the strategist, and the PR person all in one when you're campaigning? I've never been in such a position before. Um, it's usually, you know, either I'm fronting campaigns for clients or I'm fronting campaigns for office holders or uh, chief executives. But for me to be <laughs> everything, it's like the paugaliao, you know, that, that term which is always used uh, you know, for someone who does everything, um, has been quite an experience. In, in, in other words, I was my own communicator. I was my own um, hatchet man, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I was my own uh, strategist. And it was not easy because uh, it's quite, I mean, we are in the midst of a political campaign and Basically, trying to man all roles meant that I had to be sharper than usual and sharper than normal and sharper than everyone else around me. Mm. You know, being able to spot that mistake, being able to spot anything else which, which was not, um, which needed to get uh, fixed very quickly in order to spot the comments which were coming through, which needed any work. Yeah, so it was not easy, but um, I took it in my stride. And, and I think I told my entire team that prior to the campaign, even during the campaign, that, you know, this is going to be an interesting nine days and the best we should come out of it, um, you know, having an entirely good time and we should laugh along the way and make friends as much as possible. And, and I think that was the key to us um, being able to get through it. And I think if, if you had seen us throughout the entire campaign, we were probably smiling half the time or most of the time. Smiling because we were actually enjoying what we were doing. Which part of you played the dominant role, the PR professional, the campaign strategist or the politician? Actually, it was more the campaign strategist more than anything else because um, I needed to be able to respond to feedback I was getting uh, from block visits, house-to-house -house visits immediately as they were happening. I, was, I needed to respond to emails and messages which I was getting from residents who got my manifesto. I, was, I needed to respond very quickly to the feedback which was coming through immediately after speeches or content just put out. So it was more the campaign strategies more than anything else. I think that was critical because I was also responding to ground sentiment along the nine days. I needed to see that, um, you know, example, if I was in one particular precinct and I realized that I had perhaps um, better than normal support, my key would then be 
uh, I had two options on the table. Do I go deeper or do I like, you know, make sure that, you know, it, it gives me a much more better support than, than what I already currently have? Mm. Or do I then respond and head into an area where I sense that my, my, pre- my, my presence was needed a lot more because the sensing was that it was, I was slightly weaker there. So there's a lot of more campaign strategizing than anything else. After nine days of straight campaigning, how many days did you take to sleep off the, the exhaustion? Oh, um, actually, I was, I was back to work immediately the, the following oh God, day. You didn't take a break, huh? Uh, nope, I did not uh-huh. take a break at all because I run an agency and I've got clients. And in fact, even during the campaigning, I was actually taking clients' calls and going into Zoom calls. How did your clients feel about you running for politics? To be honest, I think they've been very supportive. Um, mm-hmm. And the one thing about me is, uh, and I'm, I'm willing to share this very openly with you, that I have not in the course of my last couple of years uh, actually pitched for any kind of um, government-related job mm. or government job through GBIS or even anything which is uh, uh, related in, in some way to a government agency. It's mm. not that I don't want to pitch for it. Mm. It is more so that I'll, I will not be hemmed in by limits, you see, because I think um, I, I, I figured that if I want to be involved in politics and do it in a way where um, it's acceptable and I don't become an enemy of the state in any way, then I've got to be able to recognize that I must try not to hem myself in by going after certain contracts. So what I did was I figured out that the best way for me to help um, clients would be either A, startups, B, NGOs, C, um, CEOs or C-suite leaders who require branding awareness support. Mm. Uh, and, and they know that, you know, they come to me because I have got certain skill sets which they require. And, and I think I've, I've just opened up a niche in this markets and, and I, I've kind of worked at it. Uh, so in some ways, I actually can turn down certain clients if I don't feel comfortable doing the work or, or if my content creators feel that they are more, if they're happier working with clients who understand that, you know, I am involved in politics and I'm involved uh, in helping people through politics and you know this is who I am and and you either accept it or it's fine you know I, I can choose not to work with you if, if you think that you know my politics affects you. But Jose that must be quite a tough spot because generally a lot of agencies do like to pitch for um, government clients because they view it as a more stable source of income where where you're paid on time and you're bringing home the money on time. Do you think this puts your business at a in a tough spot? I have accepted that um, it is not an area in which I would like to get into. And I'm very sure, I mean, so to be, my, 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 the clients whom I've actually worked with in the last couple of years, in the last four years since, I've, since we started both the Singapore and Malaysian office, they have been very, they paid well, they have paid on time. Uh, I've not gone into any legal dispute with any, with any client at all. Um, and all my clients have actually you know, provided me with a, uh, testimonials that you know based on the work which we do and in fact even after my campaign I've had three new clients come on board because they saw the kind of content we were putting out during the campaign so they saw that you know I was very obviously very adept with the online space and I knew what I was doing yeah. and I wasn't getting into any kind of trouble uh, no pofma against me at all <laughs> and um, yeah so so I've actually had um, requests from both sides of the causeway Singapore and in Malaysia as well yeah, so I guess uh, the one thing good which has come out of these elections is that people have opened their eyes a lot more into the kind of uh, work which we can do. And, and, you know, technologically, we are obviously a lot more advanced than many of the other candidates. And you know, we even had a K-1 
campaign website where residents were submitting their appeals online to me. And we were, you know, very much ahead of the curve. And even till today, I've got residents submitting their appeals to me. In fact, I was reading one just a few minutes ago before I got on this call. So as you know, uh, we did start the series talking about life after advertising, but this isn't life after advertising or PR for you. It's more like um, a, a concurrent life uh, or after hours. So could you share with us how you got into politics for our listeners who might not be aware? Um, which parts of your career pushed you in this direction? I think from the moment I entered journalism, my life revolved around politics and politicians quite a bit. Uh, as a journalist, I was covering news, I was covering general news, uh, sports, and sometimes my editor sent me for political uh, related, um, maybe uh, presses or interviews, or sometimes on a weekend, we've got some politicians or ministers who've got certain doorstops <clears throat> at the community events, and I usually would have to attend those. I also, as a, in the course of my life, uh, in the course of my time in today, for example, I also covered the Malaysian general elections in 2003, if I recall, uh, the Thai general elections in 2005. And obviously, you know, we also covered the Singapore GE in 2001, 2006. That means that I had access to people in charge, not just in Singapore, but in the region. And um, the other interesting thing was that when I was covering sports as a journalist, many of the people involved in sports at that time were also in politicians. I mean, we had Mr. Marbotan, who was um, president of this football association. We had Associate Professor Ho Penki, mm. who was the senior minister of state for law, who was also the president of the football association at one point, Zainuddin Nordin, after mm. him. We had a few other NSAs, sports associations, which had political appointees or members of parliament who were helming them. So my, my relationship and my time around politicians were, I mean, obviously, I had a lot of time uh, working with them on many related stories or stories involving sports. Um, and even, even after uh, I left the media, when I joined civil service, um, I ended up um, working with quite a few of our political appointees you know, through all the roles which I played in our Sports Council, uh, Sports Singapore, um, Environment Council, Sports Hub. Yeah, yeah. So in the end, you know, my life kind of, it seemed like, um, you know, I, I was spending quite a bit of um, my work life around people who were involved in politics. And I guess that also in some ways, um, you know, gave me a very clear insight into some of the issues which we face in certain sectors and, you know, obviously also gave me the opportunity to share some views, which is probably what led me to this path which I've taken for myself. Did you have any reservations about entering politics? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think we don't set out in our lives to do, to become politicians. You know, I think uh, it's, it is a path which takes us um, and the decision which we make to get involved it's obviously a very difficult one because you know it, it, it means that we are in the eye of the in the public's eye all the time. Uh, that also means that you know I will not be able to misbehave in public. I mean, not that I misbehave all the time. It puts us constantly in the public eye, and and it's a very difficult decision to take. But you know, when I decided that I wanted to do this, I figured that I had to do it my way, and I had to chart a path for myself without looking at um, history and looking at how politics has been. Uh, organized in Singapore and if I told and I wanted to do this I needed to do it in a way in which I was comfortable with and without being an enemy of anybody I had to do it in such a way where my clients don't turn away from um, you know whatever agreement we already had because I think 
it's important that whatever image I put forward also helps my clients in some ways because they also know that you know they're being associated with someone who is yeah. obviously a moderate, someone who also makes a lot of sense and someone who's helping society. While you were always a public figure, um, you're now in a position where you're far more scrutinized, if I can say that, than in your past roles. How do you learn to deal with that? By having a good sense of humor, by knowing that, you know, there is a, there's fun in everything which we do. Mm. And even in, that also means in politics, because the good thing is, you know, because we play in the online space and we are communicators, we kind of know how to tell a story uh, and, and, you know, make people smile. And we also know how to create talking points or narratives which will make people feel empowered and f- make them feel important. And so I think that's, that's, that's important for me. And that's been different for me because I think, because I am probably, I think I'm probably one of very, very few um, communicators who've ended up en- entering politics. And I think probably only one who's been a senior communicator who's entered or maybe even a senior journalist who's entered um, ended up on the other side of the of the house, or ended up on the other side of the of the, of the fence, you know, as a, in the opposition mm-hmm. uh, parties. I think a lot of journalists in Singapore have ended up, you know, either becoming PAP candidates or become part of establishment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so for me, it's a very different path which I took. So so we always say that journalists who jump over to the PR and corporate communication side. Um, we call it the dark side, right? And you've gone maybe uh, one step further where you're in politics, but also with the opposition. Um, so what do you have to say to that? Do you face any challenges getting used to the shift? No, it's, 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 it's not the dark side at all. In fact, there's a lot of light here um, from where I'm sitting. Uh, there's a lot of light which I see because uh, if you think about the kind of change you can bring forth for people and society through the work which we do. Uh, it's not just with uh, raising policy issues, but um, through helping people on the ground, um, you know, giving them hope, you know, when they are faced with problems, giving them the opportunity to reach out and, and, and share their issues. Sometimes it's just a listening year. So I think politics, uh, depending on, on, on who uh, shares with you, you, you can probably, you'll probably end up hearing very different, uh, perspectives. If you speak to someone else who's also an opposition politician, you might probably hear a very different, uh, a different narrative. You know, you probably hear you know a lot of anger, a lot of angst because of policy issues. But I, I, I look at it very much differently. I look at it in a sense that the work which we do really brings light to people's lives, and and I see that way. And I, and that's something which I stress to all my volunteers that. You know, our role every day is to ensure that somebody gets help and some put a smile on someone's faces. Mm. And, and that's how we view things. Yeah, it's very much like a... So I was asked this question by, a former, uh, by another journalist previously about um, if that's the case, then why am I not a social worker? Mm-hmm. So my response to that is social workers make good politicians too because you actually bring a very different side or softer side to, to political work. And I think that's sometimes important. You know, yes, we must be extremely uh, thick-skinned individuals by getting involved in politics. But I think it's important that people also see that we've got a heart, which is why we get involved in what we do. PR is an all-consuming role. Politics is another all-consuming full-time role. How do you even have time to balance the two? I have made it a point to enjoy whatever I do in the course of my entire life. It'll be an amazing point to note that actually throughout the most of my career or most of my 
uh, roles which I've taken on, I have hardly had to apply for roles. I've usually been headhunted. Mm. Um, so that means that um, to my benefit, I've had good mentors who recognized that there was value which I brought to the table. And because of inborn skill sets or skills which I, which I had. Um, and even when I was a journalist, I hardly took leave and I, re- and, and I took the work travel as um, my, my holidays <laughs> because you know, when you're traveling for work, you know, you're getting on a flight, it feels like a holiday anyway. <laughs> so my advice to my mentees is usually you got to take on a role which you enjoy doing because then you'll f- not feel like as though you're working at all. And you know, during the course of my campaign, during the GE, my volunteers and myself were working like we were on the ground for about 12 hours and then we were doing um, backroom work, uh, preparing for, our, for my speeches for another couple of hours. And then after that, we were doing reviews to see you know, whether, how, how we could do better. You know? So we, we were like up for about 20 hours a day. Yeah. And then we are asleep for four hours and we are back in the, in the, in the, in the operations room again and you know, preparing again for the following day. So it's like, but you see, if you felt that this was a job, you will not do it. It, had got, it has got to come from within, you know, that, that adrenaline which is pushing you through. And it's got to be fun. It's got to, it's got to be enjoyable. Yeah, fair enough. And that's what it was. So I don't un- to answer your question, I find that my work helps me to relax. And yeah, it's, it's a, I, I don't know how many other people out there actually feel the same way though. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. I mean, there's a lot of talk about work-life balance but for me, doing what I do, I think of it as work-life integration. And we often talk about this within my team as well, um, where so many of our sources who started out as industry contacts um, then became really good friends. And so I, I, I do resonate with a lot of what you're saying when you enjoy what you do. Work and life does get quite closely integrated and it's not a bad thing at all. Um, so kudos to you for that. That's really inspiring to hear uh, that you feel the way you do about the work you do. Um, coming back to the topic, though, is there something that you didn't enjoy while campaigning? Well, apart from my, my toes being blistered out from all the walking, <laughs> um, because we, we were covering 18 to 19 kilometers a day, knocking on doors and going from block to block, house to house. And... No, but I did, I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy that. I actually do enjoy because I really enjoy meeting people and looking them in the eye and looking at their you know, body language and you know, seeing the smile. Sometimes I'm seeing the door slam on us. I think all of it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would gladly do it all over again you know, because it was really, really enjoyable. But um, I think the one thing which I, I would probably uh, feel that you know, wasn't, who wasn't done too well was obviously the integration among volunteers. I think it's important that um, a lot of the volunteers who come and support us, um, you know, will probably have gotten to know us only in the, um, leading up to the elections, uh, which is why I've got, you know, one very core team of our volunteers who have been with me for years. And then I've got a slightly greater concentric circle of volunteers who came on board prior. So I think the one difficulty I had was to ensure that, you know, everyone was motivated you know, enough were there any learning lessons from your journalism days that you tapped onto heavily while you were campaigning? Journalism taught me to prepare for life. Journalism 
And that's what taught me how to be. You, right? Yes, yes. He constantly spoke to me about you know the importance of journalism. In fact, um, as one of my mentors, he was one of those who also whom I went to for for advice when I decided to leave journalism and join the public service. And that's a, And he told me that you know journalism prepares you for life. In fact, you know when I almost wanted to head back to the media when I was in a civil service, I went to see him again, you know, to ask him for his advice. And he said, journalism prepares you for life, you know, so it cannot be that, you know, you want to suddenly go back to journalism, you know, because you're supposed to be prepared all your life to head out. You know, if you want to head back to media now, then it means that I've not prepared you enough. So I remain in civil service. So yes. <laughs> so the one thing which I think, um, if there are a couple of lessons from journalism, uh, from journalism, which has got me prepared for politics, it is um, the one, the ability to be able to network and understand people from all walks of life. You must be able to converse with a CEO or a, or a senior political appointee and in the very same vein, be able to come down and speak and be understood by someone who is um, a man in the street. And also, that's one thing. You know, as journalists, we are, we are taught how to be able to extract you know, as much information as possible from our new, our new sources. Mm. And that means being able to communicate with people across all walks of life. And that's important in politics too. Mm. Second, the importance of networking. Networking is what drives people like us. You know, as journalists, if we don't have a huge network of people, that means our storyline, our stories are going to be very limited. Yeah. Um, likewise, in politics, I think our networks will help us to have um, a lot more supporters around us. And also through that, we have got word of mouth marketing through our networks and that helps us a lot as well. Mm. And the networks also help us to help people along the way because if I have a huge network of friends along um, the journey with me, I'll be able to link my residents up with um, jobs which open up or if some of them require help with uh, expertise, I'm able to open up doors for them. If some of my residents require legal help, I can open up doors for them. That is all down to networks. So I asked you a little bit about what you didn't like about campaigning. What about on the PR and corporate communication side? Is there something you wish you could change? I still see a trend which I think should actually change. Um, in many organizations, corporate communications or the communications teams are usually brought into the picture towards the end of the um, product cycle or the policy cycle. I think this has got to change. Communications. You know, for, for, a, for an organization to communicate its policy or com communicate its products well, they need to have the comms team at the start of the cycle. So the comms team will also know what were the nitty-gritties ran into the manufacturing or the, or the, or the creation of the policy, um, you know, so that they will be able to communicate in a much better way. And having it ready and then heading to comms, I think, um, sometimes means that the policy or the product isn't communicated well enough to members of the public. And I hope at, you know, at some point, leaders recognize that corporate personnel play an integral role in, in their organizations and hopefully they'll be brought into the cycle as early as possible and not towards the end. There's been a lot of talk about PR in the boardroom where PR comes in early enough to make the business decisions, but I feel like there's still a long way to go. What do you think is holding us back? In some organizations, it's the way in which the communications departments are structured. <clears throat> some of them are helmed or put under marketing teams, and some of them are put into CEO office. Some of them are put into it's a department of their own, which is like a silo, and they're only brought into the cycle, into the picture, like at a very late stage. Um, it's all about how, I think it's all going to be, it all boils down to how the organization is structured and how they are built. 
um, I think if you are part of CEO's office, if you are part of the office which sits right next to the decision makers, um, I think then and only then will the value of the comms departments be noticed and be used to, to, to greater effect. If it's in an organization structure, or even in the way in which the office is built, and if you have your comms department and your directors and your comms personnel sitting in one corner of the office, not even aware of what's going on at the other side of the office, then we have a problem. Mm. So it boils down to how the office is structured and how the office is uh, managed in, in, in some ways. Um, I, I also think that, I think this is changing. I also noticed there are some major organizations where the communications directors um, are now part of um, uh, CEO's office or, or strategy office, and which I think is the right thing to do because if you want to create a, a new policy, I think your communications person needs to be involved right from the start. Mm-hmm. And not, not, not just at the end, you know, just roll it out because I think that is, um, that's poor communications in the end. How do you see digital transformation really impacting communications and campaigning? Yes, I actually had, um, I mean, okay, this is a bit of background. I started looking at the online space in 2008, thereabouts, when I was um, put in charge of um, the social media department in, in, in the government agency, which I was in at the time, uh, Sports Singapore. Um, and I was beginning research into the area and, and in one of my roles as a head of communications for the Asian Youth Games, I was tasked with you know, the, the whole broadcast element of the games and, and what we did was we actually managed to integrate broadcast, online broadcast, the use of social media platforms into the games website. Bear in mind, I'm talking about 2008 here. Okay, so this was like 12 years ago and I did beginning to play in this space. So the one thing which I already realized back then was if the whole world surrounding public relations and the, the use of um, the mainstream media for communications was going to change. Because if you, if you took a look at how, um, as, as an example, how President Obama ran his campaign in 2008, he used a lot of social media tools to reach out to his voters directly. So that actually showed us that you were able to reach out to your audience directly if you're able to communicate and get them to listen to you directly through all these social media platforms. So whether it's Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you know, what, you, you'll be able to reach your audience directly. And that means, you know, it kind of like removes that whole need for working through the mainstream media because the mainstream media will end up uh, listening to what you're saying in your online spaces anyway. Now, then if you take a look at uh, the traditional public relations uh, practitioners, a lot of them were still working towards using mainstream media for, for outreach. Yes, that is one strategy, but that cannot be the only strategy. So if, in my, in my view, if public relations practitioners did not evolve or did not change with the tide, they were going to be left behind. So the bread and butter public relations agencies of the past, you know, I think would, would run into problems if they did not figure out means of engaging or means of moving their, their working model towards one which actually took online strategies more than use of mainstream media because mainstream media is now just one part of your strategy. In fact, mm-hmm. the online strategy is a lot more, plays a, a bigger role than, than the mainstream media strategy. And I mean, that also is due to consumption patterns of how people were consuming news. I mean, this elections itself, right? We saw that the bulk of people were consuming the news in the online space, and not just through mainstream, and not through mainstream media. So, you know, if, if, can you imagine if you were a candidate who still relied on mainstream media, you would run into big problems because your share of voice in the online space would be so low. And I mean, whether or not it affects your, your vote count in the end is, is immaterial because you know people want to know about you and want to read about you because and, and the only places they were getting a lot of content or a lot of the 
information about the candidate was in the online space. And, and so imagine if you know you were if you're a bit of an old school public insurance practitioner who were helping who was helping a, a candidate and you were saying, oh let's use mainstream media, I think you were gonna run into big problems. Completely agreed, Jose. There needs to be a lot more confidence in own media, not just earned, 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 because own media has immense power these days, unlike in the past. So with that, we've come to the final question of the day. Um, what's your one true love? Journalism, PR, or politics? Uh, none of the above. My true love actually is people. So in all the roles which I do, I make sure that the people are the ones who are going to benefit from whatever I do, whether it's our journalist, whether it's our public relations practitioner, or now as a politician. That concludes this week's episode of Life After Advertising. To stay on top of trends, learn to reskill and upskill your capabilities, and grow your professional network, head to www.marketing-interactive.com. We'll see you there.